Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host Theo Wan. Welcome to season two of the podcast where we are going to be looking at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of Ultimate. Each week I will talk to a new guest and we will talk about their journey into Ultimate, what their life in Ultimate looks like, their most memorable games, and a fun rapid fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, we would love for you to subscribe and get the word out about the podcast to others. Your support is truly appreciated. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by the Pocket AT. Ever want to have your health-related questions answered whenever you have them? Look no further than the Pocket AT. It is like having an athletic therapist with you 24-7. It's a free informational hub that provides you everything you need to know about your health, including rehabilitative exercises, advanced sports-specific exercises, proper ways to stretch and foam roll, mobility exercises, nutrition, and a bi-weekly blog that discusses the most commonly asked questions to practitioners. Check out their content on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at The Pocket AT, and on their website at pocketat.com. Now with all that done, let's go. This week's guest is Rowan McDonald. Rowan burst onto the Ultimate Scene in 2013, and is currently one of the top players in the American Ultimate Disc League, winning MVP in 2018, and being named the first ever All-Star Captain in 2019. In 2020, he was announced as a member of the National USA Men's Ultimate Team that was scheduled to play in the 2020 World Ultimate and Guts Championships. Aside from playing for Team USA, Rowan has played professionally with the DC Breeze since 2016, and at the club level with the top team in the region, DC Truck Stop, since 2015. He was named UltiWorld's Offensive Player of the Year in 2018, and was also a first-team all-club selection that year. Rowan has also played for Garuda in 2014, out of Boston, and Boston Ironside in 2013. Off the field, Rowan is devoted to furthering the sport of Ultimate as a coach for youth, college, and professional Ultimate organizations. To this date, Rowan has coached over 20 Ultimate programs and has amassed over a million views across his social media platforms teaching the sport of Ultimate. Having co-founded the digital media and video community-based American Ultimate Academy, Rowan partnered with Felipe Ledesma to bring Ultimate training to the world with Excel Ultimate, an online Ultimate educational platform for players of all skill levels. Here is my interview with Rowan McDonald. So I'm here with Rowan McDonald, big-time AUDL player, plays for Truck Stop as well, just got named this year to the USA team as well. So big congrats there, Rowan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Theo. Uh, super excited to be here. Caught a few of these, and I'm happy that you reached out. Here we are. Yeah, we're going to hear a story of someone who didn't play Ultimate in college. I know I'm spoiling a bit of your story there, Rowan. Didn't play Ultimate in college, kind of unknown, and then you burst onto the scene here, and you played with Truck Stop for the last few years and the DC Breeze. So how did that come together for you? Yeah, I think that that kind of story has kind of stayed pretty quiet, so I'm happy to share, but... I started playing Ultimate 22, 23 years old. My first game, my first memory was my younger brother Chad was playing in this really low-level summer league. And like a fun low-level, some people had bare feet, some people had shoes, some people had cleats. And then one night we had nothing going on and he's like, hey, come out to the game. So I went out with my cousins, we all watched, and then the first point was this pull, I I think I've said it before, it was like 60 yards, and I was like, oh, whoa, like, this is real. I was one of those people, if you had asked, like, what is Ultimate Frisbee, I would have had no idea. Like, I didn't even know it was a sport. But there I was, that day, realized it was a sport, and I was like, kind of really want to try this. Except at that same time, I was trying to walk on to... Eastern Connecticut State's basketball team. So my focus was there. Needless to say, when I didn't make the team, I still remembered the sport. And I was like, I want to pursue athletics. I'm going to pursue ultimate Frisbee. And I think that was 2012, maybe, and been playing ever since. So how did you then get into the elite level club scene after you decided to play ultimate? What were some steps you took to get there? First thing I did was had to learn how to throw. My brother Chad taught me a little bit before he had left for college that summer while I was still doing a lot of basketball. But then I really had nobody I knew played the sport. My brother's in college. I still don't even know much about the sport. So 
I stumbled onto YouTube where people go to find things, and the only videos out there were Brody Smith's throwing videos. <laughs> the bro tips. I know. I know what you're talking about. The bro tips. Bro tips. One, I think, forehand, backhand, and I would just watch those. Put up a blanket in my closet, and I would just throw the Amazon.com Ultra Star Six Color Pack into my closet for a long time, and then. I guess it wasn't until a year or two of just kind of training by myself and throwing, playing when I could, if I found a game. I did stumble onto the Eastern Connecticut State's ultimate team, except they weren't really a fully-fledged team. It was just a bunch of people that played pickup. Four people might show up. Eight people might show up on a good day. Co-ed. We went to one tournament, so I think we lost to a high school team. But... I didn't know what was going on, but I was like, oh, there's tournaments. So while I didn't really play College Ultimate, I did get a sense of my first tournament through that. And then the next year, I just, I think, showed up at Ironside Open Tryouts, found the invitation on Google, doing my research, and showed up at, at tryouts and ended up making that team. So I got a couple things to ask related to kind of what you just said. So the first thing is, have you told Brody personally that he was responsible for helping you get into ultimate there with the bro tips i i think i may have mentioned it in passing we've we've played against each other maybe two or three times towards the end of his career we kind of missed the overlap when he was like really you know honestly like was one of the best players in the sport but when i started playing he was kind of on his way out a few injuries so I, i may have told him a few times we haven't really had like a real conversation but I think I think if you asked him how did Rowan learn how to throw, I think he might take credit. So maybe you can give uh, some credit to him, but obviously you did a lot of hard work as well. So when you made Ironside there, what was your first thought? You probably didn't know much about the elite level club scene at that point. No one really knew who you were. So what was your reaction there and how did that first year go for you? Yeah, that was still, I mean, to this day, one of the craziest experiences of, of my career. Basically showed up to tryout. So I was like, okay, this is the tryout. But little did I know that Club Ultimate tryouts go on for like two months. It's like 10 different tryouts. Tryout tournaments. <laughs> yeah, tryout tournaments. Oh, are we, are we done yet? Oh, we're going to scrimmage pony this last week. So, you know, I just kept, I guess, making the next cut. They like kept asking me back the next weekend. Then the next weekend. And then, yeah, like maybe a tryout tournament. And then it did. I think it came down to like a scrimmage against Pony in, in neutral territory in Connecticut. I still remember that. I got a deep D and I was like, maybe. I think, and I remember they said, you're going to get a call tonight. Yes or no. There's probably a few left to make the cut or make the team. So I was like, realistically, I'm very usually very optimistic. I was like, I'm probably 50-50. Like, I have no idea. George Stubbs called me that night, said they're going to take me as a project. And that was a great year of learning from a lot of great players. Till the next year when they cut me as a returner. But <laughs> first year was great. Sounds like a short-term project there, Rowan. Obviously, some good things happened after that. So uh, a lot more to the story here. But what do you think they saw in you as kind of a wide-eyed, I'm not sure how old you were, maybe like 24 or something, 24-year-old going to your first trials. What do you think they saw in you, your athletic background, that made them want to pick you up for that team that year? Yeah, I think the first thing was probably the jumping. That was back when I was a jumper. Single leg, running, jump, could could get up there, probably from basketball. But yeah, I think that, still see it today, is the ultimate teams, you know, if you, if you get a great athlete, it's a lot easier to make them an ultimate player, thrower than kind of getting a very experienced player that just doesn't have that athletic ceiling. They're also such a great team that I think they could afford to take like one project or two projects. So that, that kind of helped for them. But yeah, I think the jumping, but also to date, I think that was one of my best years of just being a positive, you know, sideline presence, very like doing everything the coaches and captains asked. So I was, you know, you can't really make a top club team as a project, if you're like, I don't know, like a bad teammate or standoffish. So, you know, I, I did the intangibles, I think, that that were needed. And yeah, I just brought some quickness and, and jumping to the table. Getting the big hops there. And then in 2014, you played with Boston Garuda. And how was that for you? 
what'd you learn there that eventually translated to your time with truck stop? Garuda. So yeah, if Ironside was, you know, one of the craziest experiences of my career, Garuda, you know, is might be a close second. Oh, there's so many. Yeah. So as I said, I was cut from Ironside the second year, even though the first year I was traveling two hours to every practice from Connecticut. And the second year I moved to Boston three months or a month before tryouts. So I moved to Boston to play Ironside, got cut. And that's why I think the year on Garuda was so invaluable to me, my personal life and my ultimate career. They just kind of picked me up. They knew I was probably pretty bummed as I was. They gave me a great role. They gave me great room to grow. You know, if I had played Ironside that year, maybe I'm third string D-line player getting three points a game. That year in Garuda, I kind of, you know, got to play every D point, was a big focus point on the turn, got to be the first cut a lot. So it was, you know, at first very disappointing, but looking back on it, that, that Garuda year, along with some great young teammates, Mac Heck, 16 or 17, Tanner Johnson, I mean, the list goes on, was a special year for me. Those listening there in the audience, you might have heard of those big names out there now, big stars in Ultimate. So cool to see a little bit of a connection there. And as you went and played Truck Stop in 2015, did you feel like there was a huge fire lit inside of you being cut? How did you respond to that as you were taking your talents over to another club team? Oh, yeah, definitely. And Ironside will tell you, you know, I was always teasing their coach, Josh, who uh, cut me. I was like, I'm coming for you, Josh. And I really think that you're, I had some great games against Boston. Not just because of the, well, maybe because of the fire. You got the extra chip on the shoulder. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, it was pretty clear. I mean, like, I didn't try to hide it. They knew I wanted it really bad. I think that was maybe the maybe the first year Truck Stop had, had beat Ironside. So, like, that was super special. Then we beat them, like, 13-6 on a Constellation Sunday. So yeah, I, I still remember those those matchups and definitely worked a little bit harder in those games. Can you take the audience now through your truck stop career? I know it's been a few years now. Could you be able to summarize your uh, career with truck stop there? Yeah, truck stop was, you know, that first year back to, you know, I guess the top of the top. Like Garuda, I mean, we played the game to go. Like we were a great team, but truck stop was kind of that return to a perennial nationals caliber team. So I was like, first off, extremely grateful that kind of they took me. I was like, oh, I don't want to get cut again. That was definitely in the back of my mind. But they took me. They took a chance on me, I guess. I was still relatively new with not too much experience. And Truck Stop, honestly, just was a club that taught me a lot a lot of work, right? They they worked hard. I was on the D-line. Their D-line's very hard-nosed, you know, a lot of matchup person defense, a lot run hard, cut hard, do your job, do your job for your teammates. And that was just like kind of molded my career for a while. I think the first couple of years on truck stop was just just trying to work hard on defense. Then I slowly got moved over to offense, which for me probably unlocked my awareness in the ultimate world. Like when you play offense, people just know of you more. So like that was a big... You get your name on Ulti World is what you're saying. Exactly. Like I'm I'm the same player. I'm the same player as David Cranston. But then all of a sudden I go to offense and I catch more goals. I mean, it, it's kind of unfair to all the, the workers that stay on the D-line. But, you know, I sold out, went to the O-line, got a little bit more, you know, hype, I guess, in the ultimate world. And, and honestly, for a while it was like kind of setting me back as a player just you know probably went to my head and I lost some of the the good fundamental habits I had as like such a positive teammate and you know such a good hard worker and then I tried to get a little too flashy on offense so you know that's kind of my truck stop career in a nutshell so yeah that's how I call it that's awesome and I appreciate the vulnerability there Rowan talking about it getting to your head a bit so when did you realize that you were getting all this hype and, and people were noticing you and obviously you have a big uh, social following along with your coaching as well because of your coaching in part? So how did you deal with all that uh, if you go a little further into that? Yeah, well, I guess like the first thing that happened was even before I, you know, kind of played offense and I guess grew like some awareness in the sport, this random video of me popped up on Instagram. I think it was 
the DC Breeze's Instagram, and it was like I was throwing a pizza pie, which is a really cool throw that Josh Marquette in Boston taught me. He's the wizard, the best thrower of all time, taught me all the trick throws. So I like I did it, but it got picked up on camera. And then like six months later, the video resurfaced and it kind of blew up like many, you know, it's not going to like blow up virus. It's ultimate. So it's small. Blowing up in the ultimate community though, right? So yeah, yeah, for sure. And it definitely did. Like you can tell when things do it. So I just didn't want to lead people on to being like, oh, it was like the, the biggest thing. But yeah, it was cool. And then I was like, well, maybe I should make a tutorial on this video that everybody seemed to like. So I made a YouTube tutorial that went really well, I think. Still one of my my first video. Terrible looking back on it, but it's so funny that like, you know, I, I love it. It's a great video. I, I read. You gotta start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it was a camcorder. I read words that were written on a board behind the camera, but you know. Anyways, so I I start making these videos. So I guess people kind of have first. Oh, Rowan, he's the guy that does trick throws. And then I started kind of Nikki Spiva started throwing me a lot of goals, and then I started becoming more popular. So. Yeah, I was just kind of a little bit off the trick throw YouTube series. And then, of course, some of the success truck stop was having definitely helped my career go in a path of like, you know, people had no idea who I was two years ago or like, oh, you know, oh, that's Rowan. Maybe he shows up more in the, the scouting reports. Can you talk a little bit about how the DC Breeze and your AUDL career have also helped you in, in that regard? Yeah, I think that that's a big help. And honestly, probably more than truck stop, just because in general, Club Ultimate is a little bit more guarded and low key in terms of promotion. And and that AUDL definitely really prioritizes building up, you know, players. So, you know, as I was telling you, I was kind of moving over to offense. That happened, I think, in 2018, may have, may have been my first offensive year. It's also, I think, the year Daryl Stanley came to the Breeze. And he was like a great coach. He ran a lot of things through me. So I was kind of in the right place at the right time to have some of that attention magnified. And then, you know, it kind of culminated in that 2018 MVP season. And then once you hit the the MVP, then the AUDL was, of course, magnifying the, even more. So that that's definitely a big part of of that part. But from a playing standpoint, I think that my time on the breeze and the trucks that was pretty similar in terms of I started off as like this defensive runner, go play defense, go get a block, and then have slowly trickled to kind of the opposite end where go play offense and don't play that much defense anymore. Although, although one of my goals for next year as I'm sitting in this long off season is, you know, thinking back on all the mistakes I made of kind of taking it easy on defense or whatnot. I think I'm I'm ready to play and and work a lot harder on on the field. So you heard it here first. He's uh, auditioning to be on the D line. Here is uh, Rowan. It sounds like. <laughs> well, you know. Well, I, we might not go that far. I'll be the the O line player that plays great defense on a turn. Every team has to have one of those players. All right, all right. So you set the record straight, though. No, that's good. And I'm going to ask this kind of like in a two parter. How do you um, handle some of that tension and magnification of your of your name there and and those things in the ultimate world? And what's some advice you would give to uh, up and coming ultimate players that might be facing the same thing or or will be facing the same thing in a couple of years? That's a great question and something that you know I've definitely thought a lot about. And you know, at first it was like kind of kind of strange and awkward because ultimate's not a sport where you know people like that. It's almost you know, I mean, Brody Smith is like an extreme example because he was like mega famous outside of Ultimate, but like he definitely, you know, warranted and unwarranted got some, got a ton of hate. So I was always worried like, oh, I just don't want to be, you know, like oversharing all my highlights and my accolades. So I like, I really try hard to always release like a not top 10 and like highlight all my bad plays. You want to humble yourself a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because like, I like, am like as a real person like really quiet and really shy so i, I don't want to like give the appearance that i'm like brash and online and do my youtube videos in a really like loud and obnoxious manner to get more views so i, I try my best to like kind of be myself as much but i think it's very important for me and my career to 
to build an ultimate brand because again, that's my profession outside of playing. I, I run camps, clinics, virtual stuff all over. So I think it's really important that I continue to self-promote, which again, naturally feels a little bit awkward, but I think it's, it's the right way to go. And, I, and I'm really hoping that this next generation, I know my teammate, great friend, AJ Merriman is doing a great job of building his brand. I don't think there should be any shame in an ultimate player, you know, being proud and and building their brand or showing off to the world that they're training a lot and they're making good content. So, you know, I'll continue to hopefully do a better job. But, you know, as I'm saying this, like I haven't posted a YouTube video or Instagram post in like a month and, and I'm, you know, taking a kind of a backseat of my personal brand, which is something I have a platform. I should probably use it more, but I've kind of been promoting my company a little bit more. So we'll see. Yeah, it's a little, a little mixed bag there in terms of balancing, right? The yeah, the brand and personal life there. And that's actually a, a thought that I've had before as well, where if you look at basketball, if you're an NBA fan, you know the stars. They do a really good job of promoting the superstars and something that you know about. And Ultimate doesn't necessarily have that. And obviously, it's a bit of a smaller sport. But do you think a lot of people just shy away from being a quote-unquote star and building their brand. Is that something you've noticed in your time in the elite club scene there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, you know, starting off, I'm playing now for maybe in this, at this level, six or seven years. Yeah, it was kind of unheard of at the beginning. A lot of word of mouth. Oh, like, they're super good. They're super popular. But, you know, of course, as professional ultimate with the AUDL, PUL, WL, Australian leagues, like, People are trying to make this like a professional thing. And to do that, you have to make people care about the players. So that's where I'm kind of at that intersection of the league is definitely trying to to market me. And, you know, I hope that in the future, all the professional leagues can start to market these amazing players. And I think the kind of difference in Ultimate is a lot of these people have full-time jobs and professional lives. So it's a little bit different for them. Like, I don't know what their social media channels might look like if they're always sharing ultimate highlights and stuff when they're like just trying to do their own life and use ultimate as a hobby or a side job. I don't have that. I'm pretty much full into ultimate and there's other people right now that I'm seeing that are doing a great job of self-promotion on, on their own kind of brands. So I'm, I'm optimistic that in the future, more people and more people are going to start to, you know, buy in and take pride in the fact that, they take ultimate seriously, they take their brand seriously, and they take training for it seriously and continue to promote. Awesome. Great answer there. And I'm actually going to bring it back to you a little bit. As your journey in ultimate, what made you decide to stick it out and pursue this sport specifically? Because obviously, when you get cut from this top level team, some people might just quit right then and there right, and say, I don't really want to do that. So what made you decide to pursue ultimate after you had some success in basketball in high school and things like that? Yeah, I, I thought about quitting. You know, I got the phone call from Russell and that was a hard call. He he caught me. He was a great friend. Still is. He would be if we lived near each other. First thing I did, I was living with Jack Hatchett, who's on the team. So I was like, like I, I cleaned up my stuff, I would say. I don't know if I was just a distraction or if I like had really thought about quitting because I was I moved to the city for that team, got cut from that team. And I didn't have that much invested, like you said, in Ultimate. So it could have been easy just to be, okay, I'm done. And the thought crossed my mind. So I guess, you know, what kept me going was I just wanted to stick something out. Like you brought up the basketball thing. So the year before I got cut from the college team, I had walked on as a as a walk on at for four weeks, and I had got a roster spot. They said, "Okay, do you, do you take your spot? Like you made the team. Do you want it?" And then I like said, "Uh, no," and I just like I don't know why. So that following years, when I like was like that was stupid. I should have taken. I should have played. That following years, when I was training to make it again, and that's when I straight up got cut from the basketball team. So like with ultimate, that that thought kind of crept in my mind. Was like okay, I can't quit again. Like, I just got to stick something out and see where it goes. Good advice there. And we're going to give you a chance to give some more advice. Your last question of this segment of your journey. What about someone else that is maybe a, a another sport transplant, be it basketball, soccer, whatever sport they come from? What's some advice you would give them as they try to make their journey into ultimate, potentially being an elite level club or a professional ultimate player? 
Yeah, I think they have a great shot at it just because, you know, coming from a different sport is huge. There's a lot of great players today that, you know, I know are previous um, stars in, in different sports. But yeah, I think, you know, first thing, you got to enjoy it, definitely. You know, I you can't just work that hard at something where you don't enjoy. So, you know, I love throwing, I love throwing a disc for a while. I still do. But yeah, I think you have to enjoy it and you have to know that there are going to be like ups and downs. But in my opinion, if you want to want to do something and you stick to it, you, you can do anything. So I guess if ultimate is your thing, just go for it. You know, if, if it's not, if your career or something else is, you know, go for that and, and enjoy ultimate on the side. But if you're coming from a different sport and you want to make an impact in ultimate, sky's the limit. You did mention that earlier, and I've heard that before as well, how it's a lot easier to teach an, a, a, just a raw athlete how to throw a frisbee than it is the other way around. So if you're a you know a superstar athlete out there listening, there's your shot to uh, make it big here in Ultimate. But Rowan, we're going to go into a different direction here with your day-to-day life, which is more of your coaching and your instruction and, and things like that. So can you tell the audience how you got started in that? You started the American Ultimate Academy. Now you're doing a lot of stuff with Excel Ultimate, which some of those who are listening could see that and get some of that high-level instruction there. So how did that all come together for you? Yeah, as, as we actually kind of alluded to earlier on, Ultimate was kind of the major focus in my life where you had Dylan on a little while ago, Dylan Freechild, and he was kind of telling you he was he took a couple of jobs just so he could, you know, prioritize his his Ultimate life. And that was, that was me on the East Coast. I was, you know, walking dogs and taking orders at a local pizza restaurant in Boston just so I could work the right hours I wanted to have the weekends free. So since day one, when I committed, I committed. And then luckily, with that commitment came volunteering, coaching, coaching youth kids, middle schools, high schools, any coaching spot unpaid back in the day. I mean, it still is pretty much unpaid, sadly, a lot of volunteer. I was going to say you're not making uh, you're not making six figures coaching ultimate right now is uh, what I hear. <laughs> no, and especially yeah, no. I mean, it's just it's all about for another podcast right now. Ultimate's all about volunteering, which is good and good and bad. But I was the volunteer. I went everywhere. I would just bike around when I moved to DC. Just bike around everywhere, trying to coach a clinic, trying to coach. And at the time, I was delivering sandwiches on my bike with Jimmy John's. But I just knew like hey, I'm committed to this, and even though I might not be getting paid, then I'm getting a skill set for sure. I'm learning everything I can. I'm practicing it. I'm working on my craft like I am as a player. So I just built up hours and hours of coaching every single level, middle school, high school. I've coached the university, American University Dirty Ladies for six, I think it's my sixth year, fifth or sixth year, and it just consistent coaching so it's just kind of morphed into hey i think i'm ready to take this professionally incorporate american ultimate academy and start offering summer camps league clinics etc for for youth ultimate so uh, i'm just going to give a quick shout out for past episode we did which uh, rowan just alluded to so the dylan free child episode so if you want to check that out that's in the podcast archive there another good interview to check out as well but rowan you talked a lot about coaching and then now you've done some stuff with excel ultimate so can you let the audience know plug plug that a little bit plug what you're trying to accomplish with that company what that means to you all that good stuff yeah excel ultimate is here for just a couple reasons one is i had started that youtube trick throw which morphed into tutorials and then i just decided to take it a step further with our co-founder Felipe Ledesma out of Panama. And basically, I was raised as a player that had to find scraps on YouTube. And I just absorbed everything I learned from the best players in Boston, the best coaches in Boston, the best players in DC, the best coaches in DC. And and putting all those resources, everything I've learned, the tutorials, the training methodology, the drills, onto an online platform called Excel Ultimate. So anybody can just go there and have all the information I've ever wanted on my career path right there. And it's just, it's it's honestly kind of my life's work, I guess, to this point. All those 
hours and, and sessions coaching materialized into this this website. So if anybody's looking to get better at Ultimate, I love seeing that everybody's starting to train and work out. It's really cool to see people level up athletically, but Excel is kind of a way to level up strategically, skill development, tactically, and sports-specific training. Yeah, it sounds like uh, the website's almost like a CV for you, like a lifelong CV of what you've done and what you've learned. So that's some good stuff there. And what would you say uh, has been the feedback from players? Have people messaged you personally and just say, you've really helped me? Maybe in different parts of the world where Ultimate is happening. Let's say I know in New Zealand, Ultimate is happening there because they're less restricted there. They've done a really good job with COVID out there. So have you gotten some feedback from around the world? Is it more American players? What's happened like? No, we just had a call with Nicholas Whitlock out of New Zealand, one of our members. And, you know, we, we call all of our yearly members and just kind of meet and greet with them. And yeah, so we're definitely international. It's just, I would say 50-50. We definitely are happy to help with the national here in the U.S., but I think there's a lot of demand overseas where they're doing a great job of, of kind of catching up to U.S. and Canada, if not surpassing us. So yeah, we have a cool cool mix of international players and that's kind of truly my passion i love traveling i love you know latin america ultimate i've i played with venezuela in the past and just trying to make these connections worldwide to get these resources around obviously you were doing this before uh the pandemic here but what was it like traveling to these different countries and being able to teach and coach something that you love and what were some of the different styles that you've noticed is there some certain cultural barriers. I know there probably would be a language barrier as well, but how's that been in terms of coaching in different countries and leading ultimate programs? Yeah, it, it's great. It, it does a few things. I, my first one was kind of when I didn't really know what I was doing. It was 2014, Ironside went to Denmark after the world championships. So, but that was kind of my first taste of, oh, you know, you can kind of leverage your position as a top player on one of these big club teams and, and do these tours. Next up, I went to Panama for three years. Jonathan Neely was there for three years before me. He kind of passed the torch to me that I would do a great job. This is right around my DC time. So I was a little bit more in tune with my coaching and my playing. So I was a little more confident on these Panama trips, which great eye opener. I, I did probably 70% in Spanish, 30% in English. So the language barrier was challenging, but ultimate's a little bit universal where you can do some hand signals and move your body and worked out well. But yeah, just kind of the coolest part was seeing, you know, what the local communities are like and the local ultimate cultures. Like people kind of have a kind of a sense in the US where like, oh, ultimate Frisbee is this, but it's just like, that's what it is at the elite level in the US where everybody talks about it. Like, there's so much more to ultimate and the ultimate community than the best 200 men and women in the U.S. So it's really cool to see all around the world and how they play, how they work for it, and the passion. Because you're going to notice potentially different ways of, you know, how they run offenses and also even just like the spirit aspect of it. And there's just, just a whole bunch of differences there from the different countries, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just as an example, you know, Panama is huge on the spirit of the game. And then, so I, I played with Venezuela at two tournaments. What And, you know, since day one, when I got there, we're talking, it's like spirit is our goal. Spirit is our goal. Like spirit means it's so much to them. And it's obvious Then we, we kind of play in the tournament and then we get all these bad spirit scores from the U S teams, just because they don't really understand a lot of kind of the, the culture and the energy. So it's, it's kind of disappointing sometimes that, you know, like I see, not on all the teams, but like I see Wadao and Venezuela and, and Panama trying really hard to like focus and prioritize on spirit, which means the world. So that's what I see. I, I don't see kind of the the lens that other people have on, on their spirit. So yeah, I, I fully support, you know, teams dedicating themselves to like focusing on that just as much as the outcome of the tournament. So it was, it was really cool. And I think I was even Wadao's spirit captain for the second tournament which was an honor they bestowed a high uh, uh, acclaim there on you and with spirit I, I i know that we've seen this discussion you know online in places but it sounds like it can also sometimes be very cultural based as to what spirit of the game could be and i'm not sure if that's something that 
uh, will be discussed later, you know, in, in certain forums or in certain ultimate meetings. But it just seems like spirit can also be related to how people view it from their cultural lens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You could, you couldn't say it any better than that. So yeah, it would be it would be cool if I guess you know, more people were able to travel in and play around the world. You know, in my opinion, it just seems like a lot of the rules about spirit kind of stem from again the the top players in the U.S. So I'm not sure if we have a monopoly on spirit, but I just know how much it means to you know everywhere I go, I've seen it as well. So maybe it isn't reflected the same way, but they have it and it means a lot. You know, spirit looks different on truck stop than so fluid, but some people kind of hold on to like it as very rigid. Yeah, and we can go into a whole deep dive on that, but uh, we'll save that for another day, there, Rowan. Yeah, I don't want to be like so. I don't want to be so anti-spirit. Like I'm, I love like. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying you're not. <laughs> there's some things I love about it. Some things I I don't. But play hard and have respect your opponents. Like don't cheat. <laughs> Well, the interesting thing is that Dylan also brought that up, right? About how his views of what it means to play hard and to play spirited are different than some other teams, and that can cause some uh, conflict as well. So uh, we won't walk down that road uh, this episode here. But last question of in sort of your daily life, can you give a quick snapshot to the audience here what your life looks like running Excel Ultimate? Are you running the social media? How much time is spent coming up with content? What's that look like? Yeah, right now, Excel Ultimate's a, it's a big part of my life. Another reason why it's really popped up in these last couple of months is quarantine kind of shut down American Ultimate Academy's summer camps and fall programs. So while it was Excel was set to be kind of a side thing, now it's pretty much full-time because right now training virtually is possibly the best way a lot of teams can do it right now. So day-to-day is, luckily I had Felipe here. You know, he took a COVID test, traveled here, quarantined with me for six weeks while we launched the site. You know, having him as a co-founder here is huge. We're both ultimate backgrounds. He's a great player himself, but he does a lot of the tech side of things where, you know, that's a big weakness for me. I'm really focused on just trying to bring new ideas to life. We're working on not just tutorials right now, we're working on an interactive lesson plans where you can kind of take mini quizzes and follow along to actually like learn a different way. Not everybody likes to learn through tutorials. Also working on a practice plan demo. So I, I kind of take big projects and test them out, see what people like, and then try to polish them and really try to bring something new to the ultimate training world while Felipe handles a lot of the, the tech side. And we both edit some, but uh, he does most of the editing and website. Yeah, it's good to play your strengths within the company, right? So that's... Uh... Good stuff there. And Rowan, we're going to move to segment three. We're going to go back into the Rowan archive here as a player. So we're going to first talk about the best game you've ever played in, your favorite game that you remember fondly. Can you tell the audience the best game you've ever played in? Yeah, I mean, the best game I've ever played, luckily it's it's on camera. It was the DC Breeze versus Rally Flyers. I think this was, it was a must win for us. Daryl was telling us, I think we were like one and two and rally was really good and it was early in the season and Daryl's like, you know, this is kind of make or break. And that was just kind of the, my best game where I just felt like everything that was thrown to me, I was going to catch throws were on. I think I still had a couple turnovers that game, but you always forget the turnovers when you're either winning. So we ended up winning a really clutch game, really close game. And you know, that was just really special because it was it was at home in D.C. I love playing for the fans. Huge thunderstorm in the third period, like 90% left, but like 10% of the die the diehard fans were there. And it was just like a, it was a special night, a big win for the team, and like personally played well. Awesome, thanks for sharing that. And so people can find that online somewhere, is what you're saying? Yeah, I think that one somewhere. I don't know if that's uh, on YouTube or the AUDL site. Yeah, I have a worse game, too, <laughs> if you want to hear that one. <laughs> of course, of course. We, we do both, so... Uh... Oh, do you? Okay, I didn't, I didn't want to get ahead, but, you know, I like to balance... I like to balance the self-promotion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, first off, if I do find the game, I'll leave it in the show description so you can check it out there. But in terms of, yeah, your least favorite playing game ever, it doesn't have to be a game you necessarily lost, but the game that you just really did not enjoy playing in. I'd say there's two. There's a tie. Ring of Fire, I think 2015 at Nationals was like, you know, everybody on DC, I think we'll talk about this one, was just like, it was an 
was a weird game. It was like this weird wind, not a terrible wind, but we just came out. We were we weren't that good. And it just was like a really bad taste. We had a good year. We thought we had a great chance and that one's also online. I also didn't play too well personally, but that was more of like this weird ominous feeling of like, oh, this game was terrible and it was like, oh, now our season's over. That one comes to mind. And there's a couple of games where, you know, Daryl's sat me, benched me. So I think those are also like personal personal ones. One one revolver game, I think I dropped it like twice in the first half and he's like, uh, you're out. <laughs> so happens happens to everyone, but those are funny funny memories. I know you gave advice earlier, but this is a good chance for you to give some more advice to the audience here. If you when you got benched, what were you saying to yourself to try to give some positive self-talk if you were at all? And what would you say to someone who experiences that in the middle of the game or middle of a tournament where they're taking off the O-line or they're moved down, you know, the D-line or whatever that looks like? Yeah, I think that kind of alluded to it. Yeah, I was, you know, taking off the O-line, maybe two drops and a bad turnover. Luckily, got to go play defense and, like, you can just really focus on working incredibly hard on defense to try to get some of your mistakes back. Yeah, you can't really can't really dwell because, you know, at least with Daryl, you, you know you're going to get another shot. Maybe not that game, but you just can't really dwell. In my experience, like the most, speaking of dropping, the most common drop I see is like after a player has dropped one, right? It's like kind of in your mind. It's kind of fresh. So you just got to be really good at not letting things multiply, not letting a bad half become a bad tournament. And that's something that I think I was good at, but I think it had actually gone downhill a little bit as maybe my career has moved along. And that's something that I'm extremely excited to work on next year. And that's something I've been working on in quarantine. It's just like, I'm not going to let one mistake become five. Get on with it. It's not the end of the world. And go play, uh, go play your game. It's like the kicker in, uh, in football there. You got to forget the kick that you just missed. So it's kind of uh, similar that way. Rowan, we're going to move to segment four here, rapid fire. So I'm going to give you some ultimate-based questions first, and then we're going to move into some non-ultimate ones. So first question here, which throw do you prefer? I'm not going to give you the choice of the pizza, the pizza okay. pie one here. <laughs> so it's going to be a flick or backhand? Got to go with the forehand. Backhand's my kryptonite. <laughs> Exposing yourself to the to the many people scouting, of course. But I'm working on it. Though. I'm working on it. <laughs> what about hammer or scuba? Scuba. I've only thrown maybe three hammers in my career. The lefty scuba as well, or just the righty one? Yeah, lefty scuba was a phase for a year and a half. I threw it maybe more than anyone in the division, and then I think I moved on to an OI flick break. And we talked about drops, so I'm gonna have to ask you this one. Would you rather drop a pole or drop a catch in the end zone? I would rather drop a pole because I don't think it's happened before and it's good for the soul. Yeah, not many people have answered that way, so it's good uh, you're changing it up there. <laughs> I, don't, I don't catch poles because I have bad vision, so I'm always worried I'd drop it. I've definitely dropped one in the end zone before. What about uh, winning five silver medals at nationals or just one gold medal? One gold medal. That's I don't want to be that player. My career is has gone long enough with a lot of quarterfinals. It's time to get one. Hopefully next year, right? So uh, if Ultimate comes back. So should Ultimate be renamed? Great question. I've never heard this. I think I'm going to go yes. I think it's just, it's a great name, Ultimate, but it's just so hard to know that you're talking about the sport. Because then you have to say Ultimate Frisbee, but then it's not Ultimate Frisbee. Trademarked. You can't use it. You can't use it. <laughs> yeah, true. I think we rebrand now, early. I know it's hard. I think we do it. Not flatball, though. I'm sorry, Tommy, but I'm not in on flatball. Oh, man. I love the name flatball. And I know some teams, like, I'm going to give a shout out to some Canadian team out there Alberta Flatball Club. So. Oh, I played Alberta Flatball Club. Maybe at that world's with, with what out. I have played them. Yeah, they've named themselves Alberta Flatball Club, so that's that's one team that's uh, going against what you what you think there with the flatball name. We'll move on here. I know you play in the AUDL, but you also play club where there are no refs. So ultimately, should ultimate have referees? I I don't think there's that big of a difference. I think that I just don't see a difference in my experience. I think referees are fine. All right, sounds good. And last one here. 
should ultimate be the Olympics or try to keep pursuing it? Yeah, another hot button question. Put me on the spot. I think yes. I think absolutely. I got to give you the good ones here, man. <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of people that put their heart and soul into it and, and they want it to be in the Olympics. I know the Olympics has tons of problems, but I don't think shying away from the Olympics is going to do anything to help those those issues. I think that it's a hard yes for me. Awesome. And now some non-ultimate questions here. I'm going to give you a chance to share a meal with three people in the course of human history. They can be living or brought back from the dead here. Who are you sharing that meal with? Wade Van Niekerk, 400-meter runner out of South Africa, my favorite athlete. He's got a great return from injury story going on right now. Maybe DeAndre Hopkins, also my second favorite athlete, who is cool. And then you know, my mom, Carol, because I haven't seen her in a few months. So those three. So that's a good mix there, Rowan. A little bit of a sore spot being a Bills fan, you picking DeAndre Hopkins there. Oh, no way. But we'll, we'll give it <gasps> well, to you. That happened recently at the time of this recording. I know. I feel so guilty because he's like been my under-the-radar favorite athlete for like three years, and then now he blows up and gets mega famous. So I feel a little guilty picking him, but I think that's a huge translatable sport, wide receiver. I think he's also possibly a top three ultimate player in the world this second. Oh, wow. Big a hot take there. And I know a lot of people would say, you know, if LeBron James or I think there was a video, was it Antonio Brown or somebody else playing ultimate? So yeah, you do see that. And, and you could just imagine if you see someone with the athleticism of a LeBron or an Antonio Brown coming into the ultimate world, there'd just be a whole game changer there, wouldn't you say? I'm on the uh, NBA All-Star team playing the U.S. national team. I would love that game. I'll still take us. But I think it'll be close. <laughs> you got to give the NBA All-Star team a couple of years to learn how to flick and throw backhands, and I think they'd be okay. Play some good defense, though. Yeah, gosh. No jump balls. <laughs> so now I'm going to give you a music question here. Not sure if you got a backyard where you are there in D.C., but going to give you a chance to put on a concert. You're allowed to book any band or artist in the world, both an artist or band that's active or they've disbanded or not alive anymore. Who are you going to pick and the order? Okay, this is a great question. I know who's going to go last as the headliner. Ben Howard's going to headline. Listen to a lot of him this quarantine. And of Monsters and Men, they're my new quarantine band. I've been listening to a lot of their albums. So I think that they're going to go second. And then the opening act, Adele. Oh, yeah, Adele. Yeah. Oh, you hate to put Adele in the opening, but I, just, I love Ben. Adele, Monsters and Men, and Ben Howard. Sweet concert there. And last question here, the rapid fire. Can't choose ultimate as the answer to this question. I kind of have a feeling I know what you're going to pick, but I'm going to give you all the talent in the world. You can pick any sport, any team, organization, and position. What are you going to pick? Yeah, I mean, I probably won't go with basketball. I... Okay, see, I thought you were going to pick that, so. I think that there's... 50-50. I'm going to give you one. I can't play on the fence. I think I'm going to play center field in baseball. i just not a big baseball fan, but it's just such a cool position. Like, center fielders are awesome. They just roam the outfield, make cool plays, usually fast, probably have a long career, too. So, yeah, I'll go center fielder in baseball, even though I'm not a big baseball fan. I never watch baseball, but I think that position is, like, that'd be pretty sweet. And are you playing for the the hometown uh, nationals there, or home state nationals. Oh, where am I playing? I'm playing for the New York Mets because I actually, when I was, I think, younger, I was a diehard Mets fan, I have to admit. New York Mets, center field. The Mike Piazza days, like Mike Piazza? Mike Piazza, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah, Piazza. So, Rowan, that actually ends our episode for today. If our audience wants to find out more about you, we talked about personal brand earlier and what you do with Excel Ultimate, American Ultimate Academy, all that good stuff. Can you plug all that stuff right now? And I'll make sure to leave that in the show description. Sure, yeah. Personal brand, just kind of my day-to-day lives and some some videos on YouTube at Rowan McDonald and on Instagram at Rowan McDonald. Then Excel Ultimate, if you're looking to improve your game, you can either head over to our website at www.excelultimate.com or find us on Instagram and YouTube at Excel Ultimate. Shortcut to success in Ultimate, being able to understand the game. So I, I hope to see you there.
Awesome. And in terms of how they would get the information, is it like a monthly fee kind of thing? How does that work? Yeah, the website's set up as a subscription site, kind of the new the new trend. So you can sign up for a monthly subscription and we release new videos every month. You have the exclusive library or you can come on as an annual member, which is our, our best value. You get the, the calls, some jerseys, and yeah, then you're just, you're in for a year and you just get uh, content delivered to the website. You watch it. It's like a Netflix. It's set up just like Netflix. There's just different courses and tutorials and drills for you. Is there a, any uh, film study there? Like, are you talking about using game footage, maybe your own game footage with the Breeze or Truck Stop to talk about breaking down game film at all? Is that something that's uh, a part of that? Yeah, we do have um, film breakdown, a course. So there's probably maybe six right now, three to five minutes. We watch film, break it down, break it down on the whiteboard. And yeah, I do some of my own plays to like walk you through what I was thinking. But yeah, definitely film study and breakdown is, is part of our site. And hopefully we'll be a little bit bigger moving forward. For sure. So if you want to check that out, definitely give them a follow there on Instagram, YouTube, and all that good stuff and, and check it out. So Rowan, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on the podcast here. Do appreciate it. Theo, this was great, and I, I really enjoyed the the whole conversation. So I appreciate the invite, and be in touch. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Rowan. Peace. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Calvin Lin, coach for the University of Texas Austin Tough. In this interview, Calvin shares about his early playing days, playing with the team in Seattle that would eventually become Sockeye, and his experience on the first Austin double-wide team. Hear about Calvin's daily life as a coach and professor at UT Austin and his coaching philosophy and tactics. As always, you can follow him on Instagram at one underscore and underscore only underscore sports. You can see some of my commentating highlights on YouTube at one and only sports. And you can reach me by email at theo.16 at gmail.com. Cashew listeners on the flip side. Peace.